0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Just as we get into God's Word, we're going to open to John chapter 6, please. John chapter 6 is where we are. pray you are expectant and hungry. I know it's the 8.30 service, man, but God can do great things even in the morning, amen? Even in the early morning. Let's go, let's go. Um, This week is family Christmas, um, that is a, a sold-out event. It is every year, whether what season we're in. Let me just say this, okay? For family, every ticket counts, okay? So if you rushed in to get tickets and you got a bunch and you're not, uh, you thought you were using, you're not, if you're not using them, please cancel, okay? Please cancel. Every ticket counts. By the way, that's same for true for weekends, okay? For weekends right now. Every ticket counts. Some people, some people sign up uh, in, in literally like five or six different ways in different times. And then so like, I'm not sure what exactly is going on there, okay? But um, just it, you, obviously it's one time, one person, one service. So if you have extras, cancel. Cancel so others can be here as well, all right? So every ticket counts, particularly for this week in family Christmas. Thank you for loving your church family in that regard. Um, again, John chapter 6 Excited for today what we get to get through. um, Today we have one of the more famous signs that Jesus performed. Um, One of the signs that you will hear all through society in expressions. In particular, it's a sign that's even become an idiom. And uh, this sign today defined as an idiom, it's obviously referring to walking on water. That is defined as uh, referring to something impossible or extraordinary. That is the idiom of of someone walking on water. People say things like this, he may be rich and may be influential, but he can't walk on water. And we would say uh, that's absolutely right, because only one person can do that, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen, church? Okay? This is what we get to see today, again, through the Gospel of John. Today in today's sign, too, it's a phenomenal one, again, But this is a special one as well. Jesus is taking his disciples again into the classroom. He has specific lessons he wants to teach them. And this happens to be a bit of a classroom where they go out on the water. And he has some special things that he wants them to learn and wants them to see. So John chapter 6, verse 15. Let's look at that. Verse 15, and we'll read to verses 21. So, it says this, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, interesting, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started to across, started across the sea of Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad, I bet they were, they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land, to which they were going. All right, what a sign and what a savior. What do we learn here from Jesus? I'm jumping right in today because of time, but also excited to see where we're gonna be. The Lord's gonna teach us right now. What do we learn from Jesus today? Four main lessons from our text today. Lesson number one is this from Christ today and the sign, it's this. Jesus provides a model of dependence. Lesson number one. Jesus provides a model of dependence. I couldn't skip over this. I think it's too valuable. If you look at verse 15 again, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdraws to the mountain uh, by himself. The other two gospel accounts of Jesus walking on water are Matthew and Mark. We know here from those um, accounts, Jesus dismisses the crowd. So the so the 5,000, the 20,000 really are fed. Jesus then the gospels tell us dismisses the crowd. Now as he was doing this, verse 15 in John's account tells us they wanted to make Jesus king. That's fascinating, isn't it? Essentially what's happening here is the people have seen this awesome power come from the life of this Jesus of Nazareth. They've seen his miracles, and essentially they're saying, hey, it would be great if we got this guy on our side against the Romans, right? This guy has some stuff he can do that we can't. Let's get him on our team against the Romans, and let's see what he can maybe do in helping us to the point here. They thought he could be our political leader. He could be our actual king. Jesus, of course, would have none of this. He did not come for any sense of political power. He came rather as a suffering servant to die for the sins of humanity. But think about this also, right? These people are trying to make Jesus king, but how do you make someone king who's already the king of the universe? How do you do that? Well, you can't. He's already king. See, they just couldn't see it, though. So what they were trying to do in the way that they understood power is they were trying to force Jesus into a position that they understood by their little pathetic kind of human kingdom type of thing. But they were blind so they could not see the kingdom, the kingdom of God and the kingdom who the king is Jesus Christ. This is a little principle here too. It's a little, but a big one. So often what humans do, they try to make God into their own image. And it's because of blindness that they try to fit God. And we, at times, try to fit God into a box. It doesn't work that way. But notice now in verse 15, our text says that Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. why are you clapping, Robbie? I love verses like this. Matthew and Mark both tell us and explain he withdrew uh, to the mountain by himself to pray, to pray. Love that. So sandwiched between these awesome uh, divine miracles displaying the divinity of Christ, the feeding of the 5,000, and to come walking on water, two pretty big deals, sandwiched between the full display of the divinity of Christ, here we see the demonstration of the humanity of Christ. Fully god And fully man. He had ministered all day. He had poured himself entirely out. He was fatigued. He had cared for thousands. All this output, listen, necessitated input. Jesus here models dependence on the Father in prayer. And this blesses me, these verses in my Bible are highlighted and circled because it is such a massive principle for our lives. I kid you not, as I'm studying this again this week, when I read verses like this, that Jesus withdrew himself by himself. My heart beats a little faster. It does, because this is the essence of life in Christ. If you don't depend on him, you will not last for him. If you don't seek him, you won't be used by him. If you don't find time alone with God and have intimacy and abiding with Him, you can't do anything for Him. Everything starts with finding time alone, independence and prayer and love. And it doesn't, it grieves me so much how many believers don't do this. How many believers profess Christ? They don't spend time with God. And no wonder there's not the fruit they hope for. How many times do you have to be told to see? If you want to bear fruit for Christ, you must spend time with Him. You must get alone. You must seek Him. You must love Him. You must believe that without Him you can do nothing. See, this is when theology becomes practice, and here's Christ, Christ of all people, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, takes time alone to be with the Father in dependence. And you and I are going to say we don't need to do that. God, forgive us. First in line, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. So arrogant. So stupid. So self-reliant. God, forgive us. The lesson he's giving here, time and time again, he models dependence. Fully God. Fully man. Seeking direction the burdens he's carrying the communion he needs with his father again on this look at on the screen look at look at John 5:30 Jesus says this Jesus I can do nothing, I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will but the will of him who sent me, this is, this is why he's finding time alone with the Father. This is why Jesus dismisses the crowds. This is why, as we're going to see in just a moment, he makes his disciples get into the boat. He must have time alone with the Father. And here we are in the season of Advent. The season of Advent, I love it for this reason. For this reason. An extra special time to seek the Lord. An extra special time to create environments, to grow in intimacy with Jesus Christ. So I got my Christmas playlist going right now in full full force. I have a special spot that I every morning... I have my Advent devotionals that I'm reading each morning, too. Of course, I have the Word that's in front of me, which is all part of this. I have the prayers that I'm seeking to go through. Even this morning, I don't know why I waited so long. It's already December 5th. But even this morning, I I played my two favorite parts of Handel's Messiah. And I sat in my kitchen. I was the only one up, and I hope I didn't wake the rest of the family up. But I was—actually, I don't really care. But I was in the kitchen— And I was listening to Handel's Messiah, and I just, like, the Hallelujah chorus was there. I'm just sitting in the kitchen, and tears filling my eyes because of the awesome glory of Jesus Christ. And then, for to us, a child is born, and to understand just the the beauty and the blessing of Jesus Christ, and just saying, even tears in my eyes, and repenting of my sin. And just saying, well, forgive me and forgive us. We're so... We're so trivial so often. We're so, we're so easily satisfied with the crud of the world. But to have a brief moment of seeing the glory of Christ, and who, who compares with Jesus? Who can even come close? Who is remotely close to his awesome nature and beauty? Jesus spent time alone with the Father. Wow. We need to, too. I, I love his model of dependence Here's the second lesson. We're in different themes today, but taking the text as is before us. Lesson number two Jesus will permit specific storms. He will permit specific storms. Look at verse 16 now. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, they got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, notice. Jesus had not yet come to them, notice. The sea became rough, notice. A strong wind was blowing, notice. And when they had rowed for about three or four miles. Let's just stop there for a second. So here we read, the disciples get into a boat to cross the sea. Now, they were not looking for a sunset cruise. You know what I'm saying? So Matthew Matthew and Mark actually tell us this. It says, Matthew, Mark, it says, quote, He made his disciples get into the boat. Okay, that's very important. The word made there is literally compelled or forced. Again, so this isn't like, hey boys, um, you wanna go for a boat ride? This is Jesus, hey, boys, you're going for a boat ride. You know the difference between those two things, right? It's like parents, right? Kind of sitting there, hey, kids, you want to do something? Hey, kids, this is what you're doing. Now, Jesus wouldn't say it harshly, whatever, but he did make them, he compelled them. He said, hey, hey, you're going for a boat ride. Go on, go on. And he made them get into the boat and he sent them across the sea without him. It's interesting, he makes them go into a boat because he wants to be alone, but also because he's sending them directly into a storm. That's interesting. Look what comes next in our text. Verse 17, it was now dark. They were alone, meaning Jesus was not with them. That's verse 17. The sea becomes rough. The strong wind is blowing. Matthew's gospel tells us the wind was beating against them. They were being buffeted, very forcibly hammered by the waves and the wind. It's interesting to know that the Sea of Galilee is known for fast rising and violent storms. The Sea of Galilee actually sits 600 feet below sea level, mountains surrounds it, and it makes it for violent winds and especially at night. Again, so again, live in the text. Okay, live in the text. Here you are reading this account. You're one of the disciples. Jesus forces you onto the boat. You're crossing the sea. The storm comes up. You find yourself in a very tenuous situation. You are sitting there. Again, the uncertainty. You'd be tempted with fear. You'd be tempted with anxiety. You'd be tempted with insecurity. You'd be tempted with uncertainty. You'd be tempted with loneliness. And Jesus, you know, Jesus sent us. Doesn't he know? Doesn't he care? Why are we here? How come we're in this place? Just moments ago, too, you're running the side. Just moments ago, you're basking in the glory of the five thousand. You're like, "Woo! Our Savior's awesome! This is amazing!" And moments later, you're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee again. In some ways, possibly frightened for your very safety. What a turn of events! You find yourself in a deep and dark trial. Isn't that so? The Christian life, isn't it? One moment, the mountaintop of victory and glory, and the next moment, you find yourself in a valley, in this case, a sea, or a tempest, or a storm. This is so much the Christian life according to the New Testament. There's summer, but then there's winter. There's times of light, but then there's times of darkness. There are calm waters, but then inevitably there are storms. There will always be storms in life. This side of heaven, guaranteed. And sometimes the Lord Jesus Christ sends us specifically into these storms. As a kid, I spent a lot of time on the waters of Georgian Bay. Georgian Bay is not to be messed with. There are times of calm and there are times of not calm. How quickly it can turn where the storm approaches and suddenly the wind and the violence, I mean, for what I consider to be the sixth great lake, by the way, awesome body of water. But the waves come up and the wind and the rush and the violence, it sobers you, it humbles you, it gives you perspective how quickly the water can rush up to a place of tremendous uh, uncertainty and insecurity. In fact, just this summer, we were on the waters of Georgian Bay and that was the same day the tornado was going through Barrie. And we saw the sky probably from 50 kilometers away, and we're like, that doesn't look good. We need to get home in a hurry. And sure enough, just arrive back where we were, and then the storm comes. It is, it is quite something. And it does humble you, and it does sober you. But let's admit today, let's all admit we have to do this. We have to admit we prefer calm waters. Make sense? We prefer calm waters. We love lying in our inflatable mattress, sipping our iced teas, Right? We love to do that. Let's also be honest, we expect sunshine. We expect the gentle breeze. We love listening to our tunes and the warmth of the sunshine. The birds are chirping, everything's all good. We expect life to be this way. Let's just admit that. We expect sunny days, gentle breezes, and just sit back, maxing and relaxing, right? But listen very carefully. If that is what we expect from life, we are expecting the opposite of what the Bible promises us. You gotta hear that again. If you expect a life of calm waters and sunshine every day, you are not reading your Bible. Jesus promises us the opposite. Promised hard, promised difficulty, and we're promised storms as the very will of God. Jesus sends his disciples directly into a storm. Why? Why would he do that? Well, we know why. It's within storms where we grow the most. It's in storms where we are changed the most. It's within storms that we need Jesus the most. This insight impacted me this week. Notice this. It was the disciples' obedience that put them in the middle of the storm. Think about that. It wasn't their disobedience. They weren't being disciplined here. They did exactly as Christ told them, made them to do. It was their obedience that put them in the storm. Apply that to your life for a few moments. Sometimes we might find ourselves in the most difficult, sometimes, in the most difficult of places, simply because we're being obedient to Jesus Christ. Have we thought about that in recent months or years? Storms are where the Lord does his greatest work. Look at this quote here by Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon has a quote that says this, storms and tempests are the things that make men tough and hardy mariners, They see the works of the Lord and his great wonders in the deep. So it is with Christians. Great faith must have great trials. No exceptions. No exceptions. Storms, lesson number two, storms storms are certain. Lesson number three, Jesus now presents himself with glory. Glory. He presents himself in the storm to his disciples with his glory. Verse 19 says this, When they had rowed for about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Now, the Sea of Galilee at its widest point is seven miles across. Verse 19 tells us that they had rowed for three to four miles. This means that they were directly in the middle of the lake. Matthew's gospel tells us that Jesus came to them in the fourth watch of the night. That is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. All right, so do your math here. When they went out on the water, it was getting dark. It was then dark, and then Jesus comes to them between 3 a.m. and 6. A. So this means that the disciples were out there in the storm and rowing for up to up to nine hours. This is the darkest and loneliest time of the night. Another principle for us in our lives right here. Apparently at times the Lord will allow weariness to set in in our lives. Apparently at times the Lord will allow us to be placed in certain storms or trials where we even might feel exhausted and totally depleted. Apparently, at times, there will be storms storms allowed in our lives that Jesus has sent us into even, where we are allowed to be pushed to the very limit in our emotion, in our fatigue, and in our depletion. Now, understand this too. Jesus is up on the mountain praying. He has a view over the Sea of Galilee. He knows everything. He is God, fully God, fully man. He is watching this take place, and he knew from the first hour where they were and how they were doing, but he waited one hour and two hours and four hours and six hours and possibly he waited nine hours before he came to them to rescue them. Apply that to your life. But just at the right time, just at the perfect time, Jesus makes them aware of his presence and he displays his glory just at the right time. Not our time, his time. Not the time maybe we think he should show up, at the time where he knows perfectly that it's time to make his presence known and his glory seen. I've kept the journal now for over two decades. How many entries describe a storm of fear, of heartache, And stress. How many entries in my journals detail tears of pain, and tears of trial, and tears of anguish? A lot. My longest entries are the ones that are my hardest times. And yet every single time, every single time, this is one of the greatest values of keeping a journal, every single time you are forced to draw the conclusion and written down, and with hindsight, every single time you recognize that the Lord Jesus Christ at some point entered into that storm and he said, enough, And the waters were calm, and the peace was given, and the glory was displayed. Every single time, loved ones, in his sovereignty and his perfection, he arrives and he says enough. He calms the storm and he grants peace. I was thinking about this week, and so I took the time to read through some of my journals over the past 20 plus years. I saw journal entries from my first year of marriage, my first month of marriage, to previous ministries before this church, to the start of this church, and up into this very year. Man, I read those, some of those journals I haven't read for years. And I read them, it was it was humbling. I, I, I entered into situations from 20 years ago where my, I could feel the emotions of the moment rising up because of how clear that, those memories are, because of how much you felt within that and how much storms you sensed around you and yet to see the glory of Jesus Christ. Here's a picture. Here's a picture of the journals of the last about 20 years. And I was amazed at just like, This represents hundreds and hundreds of storms. But it represents the faithfulness and the glory of Jesus Christ. Every single time. What an exercise. What a thing to be reminded of. And we think of the hundreds of storms represented in this room right now. Hundreds of storms. Thousands of storms. I thought of so many of you as I was writing this part of this message. So many people in so many different storms. So many such difficult storms. So many uncertain storms. So much rough water in this place right now. So many unexpected situations. So many trials that we did not anticipate. He has allowed them and yet he does not leave us alone in them. He he comes to us in the midst of the storm. Again, he might make us wait. He might make us wait, but just at the right time, at the precise moment. One of the journal entries that I was reminded of was before this church began. We started our core group in 2003. In 2002, two years married, I went through a season where I was, I thought I was clinically depressed. I didn't know what was going on. I felt so bad for my wife. Two years into our marriage, and her husband's just sick. Like something's wrong with him. What is wrong with me? Like in a season of like extended months of I can only describe as depression. It's a storm I didn't want. A storm I didn't understand. A storm I was so confused in. A storm that I thought, what in the world is happening to me? And it was a storm that was leading to the beginning of this church. It was a storm that allowed God would sovereignly place me in, to break me and to humble me, to prepare me to be used in a way I could not possibly otherwise. And you look back and you're like, "That was not a fun season." But it was the season that God appointed for His glory. How does that apply to your life? Look at verse 19. And they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. Oh, I can't wait to watch the replay of this in heaven, can you? This is going to be awesome. Just imagine what that must have looked like—the sign of His glory. I got a little picture for those of us who are visual. Just because kids will like this, adults will like this, right? Just like just, just trying to imagine what it must have looked like. Jesus is is walking on the water in the midst of the storm and the sea, and just, you're one of the disciples, and you're like, "Whoa! Like, what is happening?" And you're so afraid. I I totally get that. Listen, Jesus walks on water as easily as we walk on land. How? J.C. Ryle put it this way. It was just as easy for him to walk in the sea as to form the sea in the beginning. So many talk about, we see these, these, these miracles and so many people talk about how the laws of nature are above God. Well, that couldn't have happened because you can't walk on water and they'll say, so you're single. Listen, listen, God created the laws of nature. God can suspend the laws of nature. You know what I'm saying? It's like, come on now, come on now. The very one who created them can do whatever he wants with them. The laws of nature are not immutable or eternal. Jesus Christ is. Okay? So if he wants to walk on water, he's going to walk on water. And so this sign here becomes an awesome display of the glory of Jesus Christ. The raging sea is terrifying the disciples. The raging sea are mere steps for Jesus. The disciples are like, right? And Jesus is like, let's go, let's go. He's walking along like like he can do whatever he wants. You think he's afraid? Uh, I don't think so. He's like, whatever wind, whatever waves, I create all of you, right? And he's walking. He's just like, let's go, walking along in our first wall, because this is who he is. This is what he does. This is how awesome he is. And so the glory that emanates from Jesus Christ here, the glory, the sign imagine, imagine the disciples, I just like, these, you gotta think of, imagine the disciples recalling this specific sign and story the rest of their lives, sitting at the dinner table, some of them, maybe family or friends, even children, and they start telling, we were on the lake, and we were so scared, and, and we're there, we're rowing, all these, totally exhausted, and then we saw this figure walking on the water, and like the fork drops at the dinner table, you know, clank you know, it was I. Oh, it was Jesus. And he said, take heart, do not be afraid. It is I. And we were all like, it was like when they tell the story, did they get choked up? Did, 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 did tears fill their eyes? Did they stop and just have to gather themselves because of the awesome wonder of their Savior who they now serve with their entire life to the point of death? They would never, ever forget that moment. The glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and only the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, even right now, like, hey, eh, it's like what's happening right now in this service. You're just, it's a moment to stop looking at your phones for just a couple of seconds and look up at Jesus. Just for stop, just stop watching YouTube for a couple seconds. Stop being entertained by the things of the world. Just put it, just look up. Like right now, this is happening. The Holy Spirit's inviting, look up, look up, look up. Stop looking at self, stop look in the mirror. Look up, like it just for a moment here, we're looking up at the glory of Christ and we feel the satisfaction and we sense the glory and the weight of who he is. There's none like him and we're humbled by that. I want to live in this place, we feel. This is, this is who I'm made to be. This is my purpose. This is the reason of my existence. It's to worship Jesus and to love him. And as I say that again, I'm repenting of the sin that prevents me from doing this so often. God, forgive me. So, so pathetic so often. And he will forgive me. He is forgiving me because he's so gracious and loving. And every single other person who comes to him in that way, he will forgive because he's so gracious and so loving and so generous. Why does he present his glory in this way to his disciples? So they might believe. That's why. That they might believe. Won't you believe today? I implore you. Won't you believe today, maybe for the first time ever? Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, the Savior of our sins, to die for us. Won't you believe He presents him with glory. Fourthly, briefly, he is the prince of peace. Verse 20, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. And they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This is what Jesus does for us. He's the peace in the storms of life. He is faith in the midst of fear. He is strength in the midst of weakness. He is hope in the midst of despair. He is life in the midst of death. You know, in Matthew's gospel, it says, in this account, it says, when Jesus got into the boat, the wind ceased and the waves stopped. And it says, for the first time recorded in the New Testament it records that the disciples worshipped Jesus Christ saying, truly, you are the Son of God. For the first time in the New Testament, chronologically speaking, this is the first recorded time where the disciples are said to have worshipped Jesus declaring, truly, you are the Son of God. Awesome. Because they saw His glory, what a moment, what a moment. This could be your moment. The first time truly worshiping Jesus. Listen, ready Ready? this? They saw the sign, but really, they saw the Son. Okay, that's the difference in life. They saw the sign, but with faith from God, they saw the Son of God, and they would never be the same again. And Jesus calms the storm and demonstrates his awesome power to be the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. And of course this, the calming of the storm, this was a foreshadow of Jesus calming the greatest storm ever needed. Jesus calming the raging storm of sin. Sin rages against us. Sin wrecks us. Sin seeks to destroy us. Sin ultimately kills us. But then Jesus enters. Jesus is born. Jesus lives a perfect life. And Jesus dies on the cross. And when Jesus dies on the cross... He brings peace to us. He reconciles us with God. We are returned back to relationship with the Father through forgiveness of our sins. And therefore, Romans 5.1, being justified by faith, we have peace with God because Jesus Christ came at Christmas as the Prince of Peace to die on the cross. And therefore, the greatest storm we will ever face, the storm of our sin, which by the way, no one escapes from, Not one person on their own escapes from the storm of sin. Every person dies in that storm on their own. Every single person on their own until they meet Jesus. And then Jesus comes in, saves them by grace through faith. And Jesus says, peace be still. And the waves and the wind and the violence of sin are completely stilled and calm, and guarantee us everlasting life. This is, this is what we remember today.